there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of a town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with compassion for her and said to her, Do not cry. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stopped. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This word about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding region. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. morning. I'm Catherine. I feel really loud. Um, I'm a deacon in the United Methodist Church, and I've been part of the local church since the very beginning. And I'm happy to be here with you all today. As Ted said, we are an unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered community. And we believe that if we're going to know what it means to be Jesus-centered, we have to get to know Jesus. We have to slow down and move at his pace. So together, we are in the middle of a slow roll through the book of Luke. And we are also in the middle of a series called In Good Company. We are highlighting how our spiritual life, our walk with Jesus, is enhanced by others, other saints who um, go before us, who shine a light on what it means to follow Jesus. 
we are encouraged by their stories, and we may see some of our own stories in theirs. As Pastor Brent mentioned last week, in our Methodist tradition, we do not canonize saints, but we take a more expansive view of saints as anyone who might shine a light on what it means to walk with Jesus. Last week, Brent connected a different passage from the Gospel of Luke with a saint we all know and love, Mr. Rogers. If you missed it, it was great. And um, it can be heard on our TLC podcast. If you don't know how to find that, you can ask Camber or really any of us. So today, we're going to pivot from Mr. Rogers to a paradoxical, unruly person who is just as much a saint, sharing the love of the same great God in a very different way. This person was a radical communist journalist turned devout Catholic. This person served as a nurse during the Spanish flu of 1918, Her faith and passion for social justice empowered her during the Great Depression to start a newspaper and a large-scale movement, advocating for, feeding, sheltering, and loving the poor and destitute. She drew the attention of people worldwide. Some applauded her compassionate action, while the FBI kept a file on this dangerous woman. We are talking today about Dorothy Day. If you haven't heard of her, you are in good company. In 2015, Pope Francis spoke to our Congress, and he, in part of his speech, celebrated four exemplary Americans. He started with Abraham Lincoln. He talked about MLK. And then he mentioned Dorothy Day. And... Apparently, there was a flurry of Google searching in the room from the press and from the Congress people as well. Who the heck is Dorothy Day? Well, before we talk about that, let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks that we are in good company. Thank you for the saints who walked before us, and those who walked among us, shining a light on who you are. May my words and may our thoughts here today be pleasing in your sight. May we come to know and love you more. Amen. So Dorothy Day lived in Brooklyn, San Francisco, and Chicago by the age of 10. And it was in Chicago that she cared for her baby brother while their mother was ill. She would put her brother John in the stroller and walk for hours along the streets of Chicago. And as part of that walking, she noticed affluent neighborhoods and parks and slums, and they were all close together. She noticed a lot of forlorn, suffering people in poverty. And she started asking really good, really challenging questions. Why do so many suffer while a few live lives of luxury? Who is my neighbor? And what is my responsibility to them? 
How can I be part of making the injustice in the world just a tiny bit better? And how can so many people not stop and ask these questions of themselves? These are the questions Dorothy asked. She became keenly aware at a very young age of how broken the world was, and she wanted to do something about it. As a young adult, studying and working in journalism, Dorothy took a bold and risky step when the Spanish flu hit in 1918, and she became a nurse. She um, learned and worked at a public hospital for the poor. And this was very hard. This would be like a journalist today, or really any of us, when the the COVID pandemic hit, saying, I'm going to leave that safe job, and I'm going to go be with those in need and become a nurse. This is a very big deal. It was hard. And fortunately, it also is where she came to appreciate community with all these Catholic nuns who were also caring for the poor. And she did soon become Catholic herself. Dorothy's attention to and care for the poor really resonates with our scripture reading today. As Gail read for us from Luke chapter 7, Jesus offers help for a despairing woman. Within this chapter of Luke's gospel, there are two incredible stories juxtaposed. The differences in these two stories really can broaden our understanding of who Jesus is, for whom he cares, and how he is moved to compassionate action. In the healing story we heard last week, which Carly read for us, Jesus has compassion for a Roman centurion whose cherished servant is ill. And Jesus helps this man of authority because of the centurion's great faith. So now let's look at Luke chapter 7 a little more closely, starting at the 11th verse. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with compassion for her. Just as Jesus saw the widow, Dorothy said she saw the face of Christ in the forlorn, unhoused men walking the streets of Chicago. And again, later in New York City, she saw the face of Christ in the faces of the men lining up for food at the start of the Great Depression. Dorothy was moved with compassion to act, like God's deep compassion we keep reading about as we look closely at Jesus through Luke's words. Dorothy wanted people, others, to see the poor just as Jesus saw the widow in our Luke reading today. So in 1932, as the depression was begun, Dorothy started writing a paper called The Catholic Worker. She started selling it in New York City's Union Square for a penny a copy, which even then was very, very cheap. But she wanted the poor and marginalized to be able to read about their plight, for them to know that they were indeed seen and cared for and loved. And she wanted those who were comfortable 
to see what she was seeing. Dorothy mailed copies to parish priests, to bishops, hoping to motivate them to act. And she gave copies for free to the largely Catholic police force, hoping that these good Catholics would face the unjust racist practices they were involved in. I'd like us to consider the topics that Dorothy wrote about in that first issue of The Catholic Worker. Um, This is the first half of them. I would just invite us to, to consider these. She talked about school strikes. She talked about black workers being exploited by the government, record low wages and child labor, how women in the textile industry could organize for better conditions, She also wrote about a theological reflection on racism from a priest. She covered unemployment and first-person essays about the conditions of the poor in her neighborhood. These issues are pretty similar to justice issues of today, 90 years later. Well, her paper, The Catholic Worker, drew a lot of attention and soon the poor were showing up at her apartment door. Dorothy and her visionary partner, Peter Morin, and her brother and sister-in-law who lived together, they vowed always to have warm coffee, bread, and soup available from morning until midnight, which is a pretty simple thing and a very powerful thing. So the Catholic Workers' paper readership quickly jumped. She started with 2,500, and it quickly, within months, was at 20,000. It eventually grew to 150,000 subscriptions. And so as this circulation grew, more people showed up asking for help. And fortunately, many also showed up wanting to engage in this good work. Many of these folks, Dorothy and other Catholic workers, came together to live out the ideals of love and action, and the Catholic worker movement was begun. Many people lost jobs during the Great Depression and the ability to pay rent, and therefore became homeless. Dorothy and the movement saw the need for what they would call houses of hospitality, and they acted to address the need. They knew they could not meet the need, but they knew they could help and leave the rest to the Lord. And Dorothy believed that the community of this Catholic worker movement was vital Prior to this movement, Dorothy herself found community in the stories of the saints. She loved reading about St. Catherine of Siena, St. Jerome, and many more. She was inspired by these passionate, active Christians and followed their example, just as we're doing in this series. So Dorothy wanted attention for this Catholic worker movement so that it would keep growing but she scoffed at the idea of herself being a saint. She complained that the world is content to revere a few strong individuals from a safe distance. 
making these saints exceptions to the rule. But Dorothy wanted to convince the world to see the saintliness of every single person. Along with her community of saints, Dorothy nurtured community on the streets of New York. Part of what this Catholic worker movement did was develop community. Together they hoped, they lamented, they acted, and they celebrated encounters with God wherever they found them. For instance, they created more houses of hospitality for the poor. They created farming communes for the unemployed, hoping that more people, especially more wealthy Catholic parishes, would join in the work. They protested unfair laws, promoted, promoted giving all they could, and they celebrated when money came in from across the country just in time to keep the lights on. Dorothy actually sold her typewriter in order to publish the second issue of The Catholic Worker because she trusted that God would provide. And sure enough, within two days, she had a new typewriter donated. Dorothy emphasized throughout her ministry that she was just a part, one part of a community asking for change. When people brought up the topic of Dorothy possibly being a Catholic saint, she would snap back at them saying, BS, and she would go back to work. Perhaps we need a little more of this energy today. And I do thank God for the many examples of such energy right in this room and in this faith community. So the community of the Catholic workers restored a sense of being loved for many, and it was messy. While Dorothy was pious about attending daily mass and prayer, her private diary contains a lot of complaining. She lamented needing to beg some people to shower once a month. Okay? Life is real. She described a woman who left the house of hospitality to go back to a life of addiction and chaos as, quote, one of our many failures. Life in community includes disappointments. Yet, like Dorothy, we can meet these disappointments today with perseverance and with faith in the internal, excuse me, the eternal importance of a life lived with the suffering. Jesus' life guided Dorothy to do so, and she implored the Catholic Church, Big C Catholic Church and the Little Catholic Church, all of us, to similarly follow Jesus. She called out hypocrisy in society, even in the Catholic institution. I'd like to show one of her famous quotes. It's a little long, but stay with me. Whenever I groan within myself and think how hard it is to keep writing about love in these times of tension and strife, I think to myself, what else is the world interested in? What else do we all want, each one of us, except to love and be loved? God is love. Love casts out fear. Even the most ardent revolutionist seeking to change the world, 
is trying to make a world where it is easier for people to love, not just in the family, but to look upon all as our brothers, sisters, mothers, children. The keenest, the keenness and intensity of love brings with it suffering, of course, but joy too, because it is a foretaste of heaven. Indeed, as Dorothy said, love can cast out fear, but she also claimed that we have to get over our fear in order to get close enough to love others. I want to think about that. What does it look like for each of us to get over our fears, to get close enough to others? Letting go of our fear happens as we get closer to Jesus, not just on Sundays, every day. Let's return to today's text in Luke. So Jesus was moved with compassion and said to this widow, do not cry. Then he came forward and touched the bier and the bearers stopped and he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. The widow never even speaks in this story. This resurrection healing is not the result of someone's strong faith in contrast to the last story that we read earlier in Luke. This story is all about Jesus' compassion for the poor and the most vulnerable, which this widow without a son represented. So Jesus resurrects the man to restore his mother, to restore him, yes, but also his mother. Jesus resurrected Dorothy from this hopeless anarchy to new life, serving the poor. And through her, he resurrected countless starving and desperate people with hope. When we think of resurrection, we often think of God physically bringing someone to life from death. But the definition is broader, too. And resurrection was palpable in Dorothy Day's life. God's work through the Catholic worker movement restored physical health for many through food and just as significantly a sense of being seen and loved to the many who ate their bread, whose lives were changed by the advocacy of the movement, while others were resurrected by the opportunity to leave the city and work and live on the communal farms that the movement established. None of this new life is earned for them or for us, but is given by our gracious God. That's the good news. That is the truth for each of us. When we accept the unearned gift of resurrected hope, receiving the love that casts out fear and the Holy Spirit empowerment that draws us to come alongside each other in love, we are being resurrected. What needs to be resurrected in each of us today? And how might our resurrections 
by God's grace, offer resurrection for others. If I had more time, I'd tell you that today's passage, Jesus caring for this poor widow, connects significantly with 1 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament. I'd tell you that the first time Dorothy was arrested, she was protesting for the suffragist movement. Her community of young radicals had protested many times before, but it wasn't until Dorothy got involved that they were arrested. Dorothy was unruly. And I'd tell you that she never exercised her right to vote. She thought the system itself was unjust. I would tell you about Dorothy buying a large plot of land for the second communal farm, only to discover after buying it that it had no access to water. I would tell you about Dorothy's response to the priest who complained to her that she, in the Catholic worker paper, didn't teach about scripture enough. And she shot back, I cannot teach the gospel to men who are hungry. I tell you that the Catholic worker tabloid paper, it's tabloid style, is still a penny an issue with four issues published a year. You can see all about the Catholic worker movement online. But we don't have time to go into more of that, so I will end here. Friends, if you've ever asked yourself or asked God, why is the world the way it is? If you've ever listened to the words of Jesus when he promises that the hungry will be filled, and ask yourself, why aren't the hungry fed now? If you've ever felt passionately about systems being unjust or, being, or you've been disgusted by hypocrisy, even in churches, or if you've made a bad decision like buying land with good intent but no water, you are in good company. When Dorothy Day was 80 years old, she said this to the Chicago Tribune. Don't call me a saint. That's the way people try to dismiss you. If you're a saint, then you must be impractical and utopian. That kind of talk makes me sick. Dorothy just hungered for God, and she hungered for everyone around her to have enough bread. My prayer today is that we would each consider what question of injustice or suffering most tugs on each of our hearts? And what fear might be holding each of us back from moving towards suffering alongside the poor and the destitute? Are we afraid that we don't have enough time? Are we afraid that we might need that money down the road? Are we afraid we'll get in the muck too much that we'll be dragged in it is going to be a long-term commitment. May God, may love, blot out fear for each of us. 
Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.